Hello, my name is Francesca Bonner-Evans and I'm a Managing Associate in the Linklater's Investigations Department. And I am lucky enough to be sat in a room in the presence of Jane Lana, a counsel in the Investigations Department, and Dame Alison Saunders, a partner in our department as well. We are going to have a unscripted conversation about the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill and our thoughts on the impact it's going to have on you, our clients. So Jane, can I ask you first of all, what is the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill? Thanks, Francesca. Well, it's legislation that's currently going through the Parliament and it's aiming to address weaknesses in the controls governing the UK's corporate, financial and real estate sectors because it's been suggested that these sectors are being used to enable economic crime, particularly by international actors. And so this particular piece of legislation covers all sorts of different uh, aspects, fraud, money laundering, um, and it also looks at ways in which companies and limited partners, partnerships are registered and regulated by Companies House and also information provided around ownership of UK real estate by overseas entities, for example. And what is the current position of the bill at the moment? So the bill has been uh, ping-ponging backwards and forwards through Parliament for the last few weeks. There are definitely some um, uh, contro controversies in it and the Commons and the Lords have not agreed, particularly on what we're going to be discussing today, which are the economic crime aspects of this bill. It's back in Parliament on the 18th of October, and we're hoping it will get royal assent soon, but we don't know. Well, so we're all particularly interested in those economic crime principles. Alison, would you like to kick off with one that we're most excited about? Uh, yes, whether it's excited or, um, or sort of tr uh, anticipation with uh, <laughs> anticipating it with dread, perhaps. Um, but it's one that's been talked about for a long time. And actually, this is um, we want to talk about corporate criminal identification principles. Um, and this is one which is agreed. So it is unlikely to change in the continuing debate of this um, bill through Parliament. Um, but this is in relation to corporate criminal liability. Um, and the reason that this is in the bill, slightly surprising because it wasn't there to begin with, so it was an amendment that was put in and the government has accepted. Um, but this goes towards the identification principle, which has long been debated and directors of both the Crown Prosecution Service and the Serious Fraud Office, as well as other legal commentators, have long been saying that this ought to be changed because the current identi corporate identification principle is so difficult that nobody, no corporate can be prosecuted. And indeed, there have been very few prosecutions. Um, and those that have been brought have not been successful, some would say, because of the identification principle. Um, so this is new. It's going to be quite significantly different. It will move us more towards, perhaps some people again say, an American model, so more around vicarious um, responsibility than um, our current one. So our current role is if you want to bring a prosecution, you have to show that the people doing um, the offence were the directing minds and will of the company. Um, and that's been very difficult to prove. Um, so, for example, you go back to Barclays and while there may be other issues there, you know, they were talking about sort of chief executive type roles those not being the directing mind and will of the company. So directors of the SFO and CPS have been saying, we can't even get those prosecutions home. We're never going to be able to bring a prosecution home. And so has anyone else looked at this? 
Yes, so we had a Law Commission review because of the calls for changes to the identification principle. Um, so it's interesting that this is now in the bill and accepted by everything. And what does it mean? Um, it does now mean that responsibility for criminal wrongdoing by individuals can be attributed to a company. So it should make it much easier to prosecute a company for criminal misconduct. But it's not just, again, about the sort of title of um, the person who, who is alleged to have done the wrongdoing. You've got to look at the roles and responsibilities. You've got to look at the actual reality of what that person does um, and their sort of responsibility for it in the company. But it should mean that all those um, uh, calls to change the identification principle from the SFO and the CPS have now been removed, or their objections have been removed, um, and it should indeed make it much easier to prosecute corporates for financial crime. So am I right in thinking that this is slightly more nuanced than just vicarious liability? It is, yes. It's sort of vicarious liability, but possibly not quite there because you've got to look at the individual roles and responsibilities. So it will be each case on their facts um, and looking at who did the offence, what was their position in the company, what was their role. But it certainly makes it significantly easier than it currently is to prosecute. So we're looking at who is the senior manager. That rings a bell from another piece of legislation. Jane, would you like to tell me a bit about the Corporate Manslaughter and Corporate Homicide Act? Um, that's right. So the uh, phrase that's been adopted in this new piece of legislation is, as you say, senior manager. And that has been taken from the Corporate Manslaughter and Corporate Homicide Act 2007. And, and the point about this is that it looks specifically at the senior manager's roles and responsibilities and not just their job title. So it will consider whether that particular person plays a significant role in making management decisions about all or a substantial part of the organisation's activities or actually manages those uh, or organises those activities. So it's very much more practical than just looking at a job title. OK, that's interesting. Um, one point I'm not quite clear on, though, is which offences this will apply to? Is it just economic crime across the board or is it broader? At the minute, it is a number, quite a wide number, actually, of economic crime-related offences. So it'll be bribery, uh, corruption, um, and a, a myriad of theft offences. But they are currently defined in an annex to the, the draft legislation. There is provision uh, to enable that list to be widened at a later stage. And in fact, I have to say that um, the government has already indicated that, when parliamentary time allows, it would like to extend this extension of the principle to all criminal offences, uh, but we'll have to wait to see what happens there. And talking about extending criminal offences, that's a nice segue into the other uh, economic crime principle that we're seeing amended. I'd love to hear a bit more about the failure to prevent fraud offence and what it's going to be. If you could tell me a bit more, Alison, please. So we're very now familiar with the failure to prevent bribery and corruption. So this is actually extend or mirroring to some extent, and to some extent being the operative word, um, wording, is um, mirroring that in the round um, failing to prevent fraud or economic crime. Because um, again, it's sort of limited as to the offences that will be sort of um, subject to this. But under the proposals currently, um, an organisation will be criminally liable where an associated person 
which again is quite a wide term. It could include employees, agents, subsidiaries or others. So a, a sort of wide definition there, which is ripe for debate. Um, but when an associated person commits a fraud and the organisation did not have reasonable fraud prevention procedures in place. So again, mirroring to some extent the Bribery Act, but not quite, um, where I think you've got adequate procedures in the Bribery Act as opposed to reasonable procedures. Query whether that indicates a different sort of standard or not. Um, and again, it's um, there's a debate at the moment, which is why we're not entirely sure how this will sort of end up on the statute book. But there's a debate as to which companies this will apply to. Yeah, in fact, I'd, I'd really like to hear a bit more about which organisations this is going to apply to in the debate that's happening around that. Jane, could you tell me a bit more, please? Yes, there has been quite a lot of uh, differences of opinion between um, I'll say the Lords and the Commons, because it's uh, cross-party cross, cross in both, uh, both houses, um, as to exactly who this offence should apply to. The draft legislation is first put forward, which again was an amendment to the Economic Crime um, and Corporate Transparency Bill, uh, when, uh, as it was first uh, published, as Alison mentioned, so uh, was the um, identification principle. Um, Originally, it was just uh, going to this offence was just going to apply to large organisations, and that was defined in the draft legislation as organisations that met at least two of the following requirements um, in the financial year preceding the year of the offence, and that was that it had a turnover of more than thirty-six million pounds, um, total assets of more than eighteen million pounds, um, and or uh, an average of more than two hundred and fifty employees. Now, this approach was widely criticised. Um, quite famously now, I think, by Lord Garnier in particular in the House of Lords, who said that limiting the failure to prevent a f uh, fraud offence to such large organisations would be like saying we will only prosecute burglars who are over six foot six tall and all the rest can go scot-free. And I quite like that analogy. I think it puts it in context. Um, but that proposal was rejected by the Commons. Um, and the Lords came up with a, a new proposal which said, well, OK, let's uh, have this offence applying to companies that have a turnover of more than £632,000, but companies below that, which they called micro-organisations, would be exempt. Um, there was also a requirements for annual balance sheet of 316000 or more, I think, and staff numbers to be at least 10. Um, that uh, compromise uh, proposal has also been rejected by the Commons, their argument is that to impose this kind of compliance requirement on small and medium-sized enterprises is just uh, unreasonable. It would uh, place too much of an economic burden on them um, and um, therefore it would potentially stifle um, business growth and they don't want to do that. So that's where we are currently. It's back in the Lords, having been uh, this suggestion having been rejected again by the Commons. We'll see what they see on the 18th of October. Okay, so we're all waiting to see where this debate ends up. Is there anything that companies should be doing right now? There's lots of things that companies should be doing right now, um, apart from just obviously watching the progress of the bill. Um, and we can help again with that because we'll be tracking it as well. Um, but companies should be looking really at their guidance now. Um, so we know that um, the 
corporate liability is is likely to come into force. Um, There's going to be some sort of failure to prevent offence, whether it applies to big or small companies is the sort of issue. But companies should, as a matter of good practice in any event, be looking at their guidance, making sure that it's fit for purpose and you can anticipate some of the sort of things that they need to look at because there's going to be government guidance around um, the failure to prevent um, offences and what um, companies should have in place, what are reasonable measures. Um, So, and it's going to be similar to, I should imagine, the Bribery Act. So look at their proportionality of prevention measures, look at the top level commitments, look at guidance, risk assessment, training, communication. Um, And the more companies can look at that now and have their policies and procedures sort of in place, training ready to go, um, I think the better. Yeah, and where there are no policies or procedures that specifically relate to fraud, of course, that's a clear gap and they need to be bringing that in. Absolutely. And I think it's important to note that just because you're a company or um, firm operating in the regulated sector, it doesn't mean that you will necessarily automatically have the correct uh, compliance policies in place. It's highly likely that you will but you still will be needing to review those and make sure that they um, tie in with both of these new offences and that all the boxes are ticked. And of course, in relation to the identification principle, you're going to need to review your policies and procedures to ensure that all relevant associated persons are in scope because we've talked about the breadth going beyond just employees. Absolutely. And we haven't even touched on jurisdictional issues, which again, companies will need to be aware of. It's still not clear exactly how far the... um, changes will go in relation to jurisdiction but they are quite broad at the moment so you know international companies companies that do business here but might have a base elsewhere should also be looking at this but I think really important to think about their training particularly for senior managers who could be the ones that trigger the vicarious liability-ish sort of test. Yeah I think that's really important and taking a broader view What is the impact likely to be in our enforcement world? Well, that's interesting because the government has been quite upfront about saying they are not expecting a a raft of prosecutions on the back of either of these new offences or new ways of of looking at offences. Instead, I think the real driver, and and this has proved to be the case actually with the Bribery Act, um, the real driver is to change corporate behaviour and corporate conduct to... um, to stop uh, fraud, bribery, offences, tax evasion too, to stop them happening by the companies being much more on top of their compliance issues. So it's really this this idea to change corporate behaviour. I think um, that the the impact statement from the government said they really don't expect many prosecutions at all, certainly not under the failure to prevent fraud offence. And the ones, uh, cases that do need to be investigated are highly likely to be settled by way of deferred prosecution agreement rather than a full prosecution. So it's not that we're going to see a load more offences, but again, it's about changing corporate behaviour. But even a DPA will cause more work for corporates and will tie them up for quite potentially quite lengthy periods of time. Um, and costs them more. So it's, you know, it's wise that the, the corporates sort of look at their policies and procedures before so that they can try and avoid the DPA. And of course, we have our hub, which is going to be up and running soon, which will help corporates sort of track the progress of the bill and what the sort of new provisions are going to be, um, as well as any help we can give around policies, procedures, compliance, which we'll be more than happy to do for our clients. Yeah, I think that sounds like a very interesting proposition. And I am excited to see what will happen regarding 
the international enforcement playing field and whether we are one of the top players going forward. Yep, and with new directors at the SFO and the CPS, and the CPS doing their first, potentially first DPA in October this year, there's quite a lot of change going on. So it will be interesting to see how this all pans out. So it sounds like it's a great time for our clients to sit back, take a good look at their company's policies and procedures and ensure that they are ready to face this new bill head on. And call us should they need any help in doing that. (laughs) We'll be ready and waiting. (laughs) Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. It's been a very interesting discussion. And um, of course, if any of our clients have any questions or would like to discuss this further with us, they should feel free to reach out. We look forward to hearing from them. Thanks, Francesca. Thank you.